Good morning. It's good that you answered. That means you're listening. I want to give you a bit of an insight into me. I'm using a new, we're using a new head thing and it feels quite strange at the moment. I'm sure I'll get used to it. But one of the insights that you probably don't know about me is that, uh, oh thanks, is that I love Peanuts comics and cartoons. And the reason I think I like the Peanuts comics is because Charlie Brown is more melancholic than I could ever be. And so I read him and I think, well, I'm doing all right compared to Charlie Brown. He's the type of guy you say, get a life when you read, uh, when you read the comics. No matter what he does, no matter how hard he tries, no matter who he trusts, he cannot find satisfaction or fulfillment or joy or even purpose in life. It always seems to just be beyond his reach as you read those comics. And as you, you know what, many people today, Christians, non-Christians, are like Charlie Brown. We keep going, but we're not really sure that we're going anywhere. Maybe this morning you feel like you're in that boat, you're, you're rowing for dear life, but you're just not going anywhere. Nothing seems to be happening. We could ask, as Charlie Brown must have asked, What's the point of this life? We achieve something, we pay something off, we realise one of our dreams, you know, we call it a bucket list these days, we realise one of our dreams on our bucket list, but in the end, does it really matter? Is there any point to it? The fact is, in this life, we can lose what we've fought for, we can lose what we've worked our whole life for, we can lose who we've loved, we can lose that. And during those times, life can look meaningless. In fact, from a human point of view, life does seem to be futile. And so it's easy for us to get pessimistic. The Jewish writer Shalom Alekam once described life this way. He said, life is a blister on top of a tumour and a boil on top of that. Goodness, you can feel that definition, can't you? An American poet, Carl Sandburg, compared life to an onion. You peel it off one layer at a time and you weep. British playwright George Bernard Shaw said that life is a series of inspired follies. And when we think of these pessimistic views of life, isn't it a relief to come to the scriptures and to be able to read or hear Jesus Christ say in John 10.10, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Or Paul's majestic declaration in 1 Corinthians 15.58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labour is not in vain. But then he adds, in the Lord. Life is not in vain if it's lived according to the will of God. And that's what Solomon teaches us in one of the most neglected and often misunderstood books, Ecclesiastes. You see, the key to satisfaction 
The key to fulfilment in this life is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. As we love him, as we trust him, as we obey, as we serve our God, we're living a life that was meant to be lived. That's how life was meant to be lived. This is the fundamental universal truth of the universe. But the question is, how do we understand and experience that reality in our daily lives where, where, where we live? And hence the book of Ecclesiastes. I believe this book communicates more clearly and communicates more powerfully than any other book in the Bible that, the, that true life is only found in a relationship with God. That's what this book is all about. Ecclesiastes is a journal about a man who was looking for life. He was looking for life with passion and intensity, but he was looking in the wrong places. And so only after going down many dead ends did he discover the truth that life is found only in God. I'm going to begin a series in the book of Ecclesiastes. You might like to turn there with me. Maybe you've never heard a sermon or a series in the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm wondering whether I'm doing the right thing. But the Lord has placed it on my heart over many weeks. In fact, it wasn't up until this week. I think I said to Jeff last week, I don't know what I'm preaching next Sunday. And I've been asking Karen, you know, what do you think? And what, you know, what, this, this or this. I've been, not in turmoil, but wondering, what am I going to preach on? And then Ecclesiastes, and you think, goodness gracious. I said I'm preaching through Ecclesiastes. People look at me strange. But that's what I'm going to do. We're going to look at Ecclesiastes. We're going to look at a series. We're going to look at things like, is life fair? Not today, but we're going to look at life is meaningless today. We've got to set a foundation. But is life fair or, or are you an island is one of the, the, the things I'll look at. How to live under authority. One, time, one we'll look at is sometimes there is no explanation. And we'll look at that. We're going to look at seizing the day, carpe diem. We'll look at that as we go through. Also look on the wings of an eagle. Some of the titles that we'll be looking at as we go through Ecclesiastes. So who wrote Ecclesiastes? Well, I've already mentioned his name, King Solomon. Solomon's father was King David. He had left him a large estate. Actually, it was a, a country. You can't get much larger than being left the country. King David had fought all the battles. King David had the blood on his hands. And as you know, he could not build the temple because he had the blood on his hands. So Solomon came along, his son built the temple, enjoyed 40 years of, of peace. There was no action at all. And so without wars and plenty of territory, Solomon was able to spend life pursuing life. And so he wrote us a journal. He wrote us about the truth that he discovered as he tried to make sense out of life. What is life all about? And we have his journal. We are so privileged to have King Solomon's journal on his discovery journey of life. 
as we start the book, we will find out very shortly and very soon in his book that he has one basic premise that he uses throughout the book. He doesn't make us wait till the end of the book. He knows what it, he know, to, to know what it is, he tells us right away. Look at chapter 1, verse 1 with me. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now just quickly, Solomon's name is not mentioned anywhere in this book. But he gives a description of himself, the son of David, the king in Jerusalem. And then we'll see his experiences and we'll see that this is King Solomon. No one disputes the fact that this is written by Solomon. There's one thing that theologians and book writers all agree on, that this is by King Solomon. There's not many other things we all agree on. So we just told, this is the words of the preacher, the qualith. This is the words of the teacher. And then he gives us his premise straight away in verse 2. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. The word used for vanity in the Hebrew is the word havel, which literally means a breath or a breeze or a vapour. So our word vanity or meaningless, as some of your versions will have, means it's without substance. There is no substance to it. But even saying that in our English word, the reality is that none of our English words express the, the image of the deep emptiness of that Hebrew word. Havel is an absolute lack of hope. It's surrounded by hollowness, emptiness, vanity. Before we go on, we're going to see some, some frustrations that he had. But I, I want you to just turn with me to the end of the book. Who, who likes to turn to the end of the book? When you're reading a detective novel, I, I bet some of you do. Go to the last page, who did it? I used to, well, my daughter and I used to read Agatha Christie ad nauseum. You had to go to the end of the book to work out who did it because you can't work it out as you're going through. She adds a last uh, person in. You ne never even, in any of the books, turns up in the last chapter and they did it. Sorry? <laughs> Turn, well, I'm going to show you the end because we have the book. Chapter 12. I want you to see that we're going to be looking at life as Solomon went through it. But in the end, I want you to give, I'm going to give you the ending because it gives us great hope. Chapter 12, verse 13. He says, the conclusion. So he gives us the conclusion. When all has been heard, so when we go through the whole book, I'm going to mention this anyway as we go through, but when we go through the whole book, when all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything will, which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. So I want you to understand that Solomon was not off the rails. In a, a lot of people say, oh, it was in his dark period. He was just searching and perusing life. And I want you to look at verse 3 and see how he starts. 
What profit has a man for all his labour in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. The wind goes towards the south and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes on its circuit again. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the river comes, there they return again. All things are full of, are full of labour. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Verse 9. That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, See, this is new. It has already been in ancient times before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after. Our work is ultimately meaningless. People come, people go. The seasons and the nature are just one big cycle that happen every day, every season. Nothing is really new and eventually all of us in this room will be forgotten. Do these verses send you to your happy place? How did this stuff get in the Bible? It's depressing. Are you depressed right now? It's depressing. Well, one of the keys to understanding this book is a phrase. And that phrase is, under the sun. We have to pick up on that phrase and we have to look at it. It's found 29 times in the 12 chapters of Ecclesiastes. We've already read two of them in the first 11 verses. Verse 3, What profit has a man from all his labour in which he toils under the sun? The end of verse 9, There is nothing new under the sun. Now we have to understand that Solomon is writing from a perspective of a man who lives under the sun, a man who lives on this earth. Now I understand we all live under the sun. I want you to know that I understand that. The sun comes up. But in this journal, Solomon is intentionally leaving God out of the picture. When he says under the sun, he's talking about living not above the sun in heaven. Leaving God out of it. Leaving as an earthly living. He's taking the perspective of a secular humanist. <coughs> Excuse me, I've sung too much. For instance, the British Humanist Association ran a campaign in London back in January of 2009. And just recently someone mentioned it again. They had all the London buses, the, you know, those big red buses, the double-deckers. And on those buses, it, the sign was, there's probably no God, so now stop worrying and enjoy your life. That was the message from the the association or the British Humanist Association. But for the sake of argument and based on his own experience, Solomon is siding with Stephen Fry, who you might know is, is the head of the Humanist uh, Association or is at least enjoined with them. And so Solomon is joining the, the, the human sceptics or the uh, secular humanists and he's saying, let's, 
ignore God for the moment. Let's not think about God as we look at life. Let's look at life under the sun. Let's just consider this life under the sun. Let's just consider the things that we can see, hear, touch and smell in this life. In fact, that's how many of your friends or your non-Christian friends might even consider life. I'm sure you've heard people say, and as a non-Christian, I used to say, I only believe in what I can see and what I can smell and what I can touch. Maybe you have friends who say that. This is life under the sun. Living life as you just see it and touch it and smell it. And so as we study this book, we must keep Solomon's viewpoint in mind. He is examining life under the sun. And Solomon says that life under the sun is vanity. Life lived without God is a breeze. It's a vapour. It has no meaning. And Solomon's point will be, as we go through the whole book, if you leave God out of the picture, everything means nothing. If you live without God and you die without God, you live and die for nothing under the sun. Leonard Woolf, who was married to author Virginia Woolf, He was a very successful author in his own right. He made millions of dollars off his writings. He was known personally by presidents and kings and other important people. Yet just before he died, he said this, and I found this on the internet. He said, and I quote the source from the internet, I see clearly that I have achieved practically nothing. The world today and the history of the human anthill during the past five to seven years would be exactly the same if I had played ping pong instead of sitting on committees and writing books and memoranda. I have therefore to make a rather ignominious confession that I have in a long life ground through between 150,000 and 200,000 hours of perfectly useless work. What a way to finish your life, thinking that. But that's life under the sun. Leonard Wolf, like Solomon, discovered that life lived under the sun is futile. It's meaningless. It's a vapour. We've already read chapter 12, verses 13 to 14, and we're going to see that at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, when God is back in the picture... Everything will be viewed differently. But from an earthly perspective alone, life is just a circle. We just keep going round and round and we never get anywhere. I'm wondering if that's how you're feeling this morning. I'm wondering if you're feeling like you're on a treadmill. You watch those poor mice on a treadmill. They're they're getting sweaty, their legs are moving, they're working up a sweat, but they're not going anywhere. I'm wondering if you feel like you're on a treadmill, day after day after day. Well, that's the story of the human race. It's the story of nature. It's what Solomon says, there's nothing new under the sun. 
Now when Solomon says there's nothing new under the sun, I want you to understand that he's not denying human creativity. We come up with new things and new ideas all the time. I used to watch the new inventors on Channel 2 and wondered how these men and women could come up with such great ideas. I used to marvel how they'd keep coming up with ideas that I couldn't even think of. But Solomon's point is none of these inventions change anything. Nothing is new under the sun. Whether you travel in a Model T Ford or a horse and buggy or whether you travel in a Ford Fairmont gear, whether you write with a, 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 a quill or send emails, whether you cook food over an open fire or use a microwave, life does not change. The same frustrations, the same confusions, the same sense of futility and emptiness that people feel exist in every generation. In fact, the more things change, the more they seem to remain the same. And the longer people go through life, the more they often agree with Solomon, the more the older we get, that no matter what we do, it really doesn't matter. And this is Solomon's frustration in verses 3 to 11. He's frustrated, frustrated at the point that our work is meaningless. The fact that people are coming and going, the fact that we won't even be remembered anyway, the fact that nothing is really new under the sun, and the cycles are just happening anyway. The sun comes up, the sun goes down, the moon comes up, the moon goes down, the rivers flow, they go back into the sea, then they back up in the mountains. It's just one endless flow after another. And he's frustrated about it. So in verses 12 to 18, Solomon gives us his introduction And how he's going to make this search for the meaning in life. Verse 12. I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven. This burdensome task God has given to the sons of man by which they may be exercised. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed all is vanity and grasping for the wind. It's like Solomon saying, I've rolled up my sleeves, and I'm going to go to work and find out what this life is all about. He has a lot of resources to use. He's very rich. He has, you know him to be fully wise. He was given wisdom from God, the wisest man. He had intellect. He had the time to do it. And so Solomon put everything at his command to work through and search for meaning. And then Solomon in his diary, in his journal, gives us two proverbs. They must have been well known by his audience at the time in verse 15. After all, we know Solomon was very good with proverbs. Verse 15 What is crooked cannot be made straight. That's the first proverb. And what is lacking cannot be numbered. In other words, what he was saying is there are limits to what people can do. No matter how hard we work at it, there will always be problems we can't figure out. There will always be obstacles we can't conquer. Solomon's study showed him that the more he studied the problem, the more he found out how much he didn't know about the problem. 
I found that when I went to Bible college. I thought I knew something until I went to Bible college and found out I knew nothing concerning the Word of God. And thankfully they taught me some of it over three years. But that's how Solomon must have felt. The more he found out about how much he didn't know, Solomon took a life or looked at life under the sun. And he found that it's not very pleasant. It's a horrible life. But we need to understand this journal is on a journey. And we're going to follow along with him. And as we read it and study it, we'll find out or remind us of how finite our lives are and how futile, futile our lives can be when we struggle in our own strength or by ourselves. In fact, we are going to fail if we do that. Without the Lord, even Solomon, with all his great wisdom, with all his great wealth, with all his, the time he had, could only write verse 16 and onwards. He says, I commanded with, I communed with my heart saying, look, I have attained greatness and have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge and I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is grasping for the wind for in much wisdom is much grief and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. We'll get into that more next week in chapter 2. But Solomon is basically teaching us three things. Life apart from God is pointless. Life apart from God is profitless. And life apart from God is purposelessness. Too many nisses? No purpose. <laughs> That's what he's teaching is meaningless, meaningless. Everything is utterly meaningless. It's like a vapour. And that's how he starts his journal. But all the way through his journal, we need to learn lessons as we see him struggling. So what are the lessons that we can learn from the first chapter of Ecclesiastes? Because this is what this book is all about. It's all about the fact that when we get to the end we can say after all we've heard which is what Solomon said we need to fear God after all the life we've looked at all the achievements that we've tried to achieve he says by the end we need to fear God and we need to look at this book in that in that way in that for that reason and so what are the lessons that we can learn from this first chapter well, the first one would be, we need to understand that if we ignore God as we live here on this earth, our lives will be meaningless. I want you to know that right up front. If you ignore God as you live under the sun, your life will be meaningless. And we need to help people realise that their life without the Lord is not going anywhere. As Christians, we're ambassadors to Jesus Christ. It is our responsibility. In fact, the only reason I believe we're left on this earth, or there's two, one is to become closer and grow more like our Lord each and every day, 
But the other one is to reach out to those who are lost. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. It's our responsibility and privilege to communicate through our words and our deeds the gospel of grace. That's what we are to do. And so we should be telling people about the glorious things that God has done for us. But often the people you are witnessing to will say, I'm very content with how I live. I'm very content with what I believe. I respect your choice to be a Christian. I would like you to respect my choice not to be a Christian. And you hear that and understand that so often. But when we encounter people like that who talk or think that way like a secular humanist, we need to say like Solomon, meaningless. Meaningless. Utterly meaningless. Meaningless, that is, unless you're trusting in Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. And so we can say as Christians that our conviction is not that Jesus is a way, Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And you can say there are lots of roads. There are many roads. You can take all of them, but they're all dead ends. They don't lead to true satisfaction and true joy. No one without Christ has true satisfaction and true joy. There is no joy and satisfaction without God. They might think they have it, but they don't. Francis Schaeffer used to point out that often the first step in evangelism is demolition or deconstruction. He wrote this. He calls it taking the roof off. Francis Schaeffer wrote, to help build faith in someone's life. So we're not, we're not talking about saving them that the first time you, hit, you speak to them. This is to help build faith in a person's life. We often need to help them tear down their existing structure. We need to help them see the futility and inadequacy of how they live and what they believe. Deconstruct their life to show them that it is meaningless. And as most of us are plainly aware, that's not easy, it's not fun, and it takes a long time. And we have to be very sure that we're very sensitive and we're very compassionate when we do this. But that's what we need to do with those who we're with each and every day. If we're to be used by the Lord in sharing the great news of Jesus Christ in our pluralistic culture... We need to help our friends and our family and our neighbours to understand the truth of what Solomon is saying in our text. Life without Jesus Christ is empty, meaningless, a vapour, a vanity. We need to help people to see that. But there's another lesson for us who are believers. And that is, or well, unbelievers for that matter too, if you're ignoring God, it's time to stop kidding yourself and like Charlie Brown, you're going nowhere. If you're ignoring God, even as a Christian, if you're ignoring God, you're going nowhere. Now we may pretend when we're great when we're with other people. Unfortunately, we're very good at putting on faces. When we're even here today, we put on a face. But when you're all alone, 
Do you have to admit to yourself that you're not finding satisfaction in life? Does that come into your thoughts? Are you missing out on what life intended to be for you? And is that because your relationship with God through Jesus Christ is not what it should be? As I said earlier, it's only as we love God, it's only as we trust Him and obey Him and serve Him that we're going to live the life that was meant to be lived. And the fact will remain that no matter how much money we're making, it doesn't matter how much education you have, it doesn't matter how nice a family you have, it's all, as Solomon would say, meaningless, vain and futile. Am I saying that money and education and having a nice family is wrong? Of course I'm not. But if we choose to make any or all of those our goal, if we choose to follow these paths alone, as we'll see Solomon doing, then we're going to eventually run into a sign, as Solomon did, that says this is a dead end. It cannot go any further. It is meaningless. It is a but a vapour. Money, education, success in a career, even a great family will not get us to where we really want to go or where we really should be. By themselves, apart from God, they are all dead ends. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Author Jack Higgins wrote under four different names, but he wrote, has written 60 best-selling novels, his first being The Eagle Has Landed. It's a great movie. As I prepared for this, I said, I must watch that movie again. Anyway, this, this guy once said that the big lesson he learnt in life is that when you get to the top, there's really nothing there. Why? Chiefly because when our life comes to an end, none of those things matter anymore. You see, the only way that you and I are going to escape the futility of our years on this planet is by connecting ourselves to what is eternal. It's the only way we're going to escape the futility of life is by attaching ourselves to eternity, connecting ourselves to eternal things. And the only way to do that is by trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. And when by God's grace we do that, we become a child of God, we receive the gift of eternal life, praise God, and we look forward to spending eternity with our God in heaven. Amen? And when that happens, all of a sudden there's a new meaning to life. There's a new significance, even to those mundane aspects of life, even work. In fact, Christians who get up and go to work day after day because they know this is what God has called them to are not living meaningless lives. They're not on a treadmill because their lives have eternal significance, even in our workplace, even in our family, even with our friends. And there's so much that we as Christians missed out on because we try to pretend that we can find joy, that we can find satisfaction, we can find fulfilment without God. 
And we think we can do that. And we go looking for it. Let me tell you, according to Solomon, it will not work. So don't try. It'll be futile. There's nothing more important in life than learning to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Because only in the context of that relationship will you be able to experience life on this earth as it's meant to be. We need to get out of that boat if we're in it. We need to get out of that treadmill if we're in it. May God help us to do that. May God help us to really start living by trusting, loving and following the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we are so privileged to have your scriptures. To be able to open up a book in the 21st century and read a journal of a man, the wise man, who went on a journey, who looked at life without you, came up with answers that we need to look at and understand that if we do it without you, Father, this is where we'll end up. Help us to be encouraged, even in the pessimism of, of life under the sun. Help us to be encouraged in the knowledge that life is to the full that Jesus Christ came, that we may have life and life to the, to the fullest. That work is not in vain in the Lord. That's what we cling to, Lord. We cling to it each and every day. And when we fail to do that, when we get into, the, into our own strength, our, finding our own joy, Lord, we, we will find a dead end. Help us, I pray, to understand that Jesus Christ is indeed the hope of the nations. Amen.